0: Are you feeling lucky this St. Patrick's Day? Easy Living Furniture has a pot of gold waiting for you. With absolutely everything reduced across sofa, dining, bedroom, mattress and accessories. Get the three-seater dark grey harper sofa for only $459. Donut 240cm dining table for only $289 and much more. Don't miss out on these lucky savings at Easy Living Furniture. Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie if you or a loved one gets hurt you'll want a faster road to recovery at Leia Healthcare's urgent care clinics you'll be seen by a consultant led team in 60 minutes or less for injuries including breaks, burns and buh-bumps switch now at Leiahealthcare.ie.
1: always a beat ahead for you and your family with urgent care in 60 minutes or less
0: Insurance provided by Elips Insurance Limited trading as Leia Healthcare. Leia Healthcare Limited trading as Leia Healthcare and Leia Life is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Urgent care clinics available to all age 12 months and over. Well-being benefits available to Leia Healthcare members.
1: Today on the Indo-Daily. See, so deny that Ireland is Europe's weakest link then? Well, I, I think that language, i have issues with it, with it
0: quite frankly. It's not as if the entirety of Europe is depending on us for its security.
1: In percentage terms, the Republic of Ireland spends less on defence than any other country in the EU. Even Malta and Luxembourg. Ireland has no military radar, no fighter jets, and for a maritime nation very few ships. We
0: don't even have a navy, it's called a naval service. Um, that used to have nine ships, and now we're down four ships. So while most European countries are scaling up their defence capability, Ireland is actually scaling it down.
1: And Ireland's defence forces are shrinking fast. Twice as many leave than are recruited every year.
0: Ten years ago there was ten and a half thousand people in the Irish defence forces, and today it is about seven thousand Eight hundred. So there's been a, a 25% drop in head count.
1: Defence was never a priority for Ireland, but with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, some are asking if neutrality really means being defenceless, and some are questioning how realistic it is.
0: Just remember, Russia has threatened Ireland as a member of the EU for, for slapping sanctions on the Kremlin, and they could become very, very aggressive towards Ireland. It's important that we're able to defend ourselves. Others say
1: Ireland has no enemies, should stay out of wars and shouldn't waste another cent on arms. But what about a potential united Ireland? Would Ireland need an enhanced military capacity to deal with that? The,
0: the current State of Defence Force is not capable of looking after this jurisdiction where uh, the 26 counties at the moment. It would certainly not be able to deal with an additional six counties on top of that.
1: I spoke to Independent TD Calberry, who's a strong advocate for Ireland having a defence capability. So, I have with me now Cahill Berry, who's an independent TD for Kildare South. He's a medical doctor and a former Irish Army Ranger, which is the elite wing of the Irish Army, of the Irish Defence Forces. Cal, you've obviously been taken on as one of your, I suppose, special interests, uh, I suppose, things you campaign on as a TD, naturally, given where you're located and given your career, you have a great interest in the defence forces. What is the current state of the Irish Defence Forces, in in your opinion?
0: Yeah, uh, just a great question, I suppose. Um, I would say they're probably at the in the poorest state they've been in in over fifty years. Would be the the short answer. And if you want to look at just one simple metric, um, ten years ago there was ten and a half thousand people in the Irish defense Forces. and today it is about seven thousand eight hundred so there's been a 25 percent drop in headcount in just 10 years and if you were to uh, you know apply that to nursing or to teaching or to, 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 to medicine or with doctors if you reduce the the headcount and staffing numbers of uh, of those professions by 25 percent you would get uh, chaos in their various workplaces and that's exactly what we see in the Irish Defence Forces uh, at the moment. Um, There's just mayhem, really, and it's very, very disorganised and demoralised, and we really need uh, political intervention here to to get things moving again.
1: That is certainly a very dramatic decline in the numbers. I mean, there is, I believe, a statutory requirement, the statutory strength that the Defence Forces should be at. I take it it's not at that.
0: Uh, Correct. So there's no real statutory one, and that is not in primary legislation, but there's an understanding that it should be at least, so the minimum strength should be 9,500. But 15 months ago, a commission on the defence forces reported, um, and they were recommending, and the government accepted this, that the minimum strength should be 11,500. So we're we're drastically below where we should be. We have great quality people, uh, but the problem is there's not enough of them. So we have the quality, just not the quantity.
1: So, in terms of the capabilities and and I think you've indicated the capabilities are quite low. what are the defense forces capable of? if we speak in terms of well I mean an extreme example is intimid- is invasion or an incursion or maybe even some sort of intimidation is there any sort of plan or or, 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 or thoughts? in terms of what would be done to deal with those situations given the state of the defence forces as they are because i mean obviously people in the defence forces have to have to deal with the resources that they ha- actually have
0: yeah, so another uh, great point. Uh, let's just take something even simpler just to to prove your point. Let's take the st- state of our, our naval service and we don't even have a navy. It's called a naval service. Um, that used to have nine ships um, before uh, Russia invaded Ukraine 15 months ago. And now we're down to four ships so it's even dropped its capability has dropped by over 50 percent even since russia invaded ukraine so while most european countries are scaling up their defense capability ireland is actually scaling it down and uh, not even from a, from a military perspective but if you look at the, the naval service again there's possibly about four ships that we could put to sea if, uh, at a push because we, we lack crew there's not enough crew because the state isn't paying its military sailors uh, well enough so just in a capability point, of view, that the search and rescue function of, of the naval service is severely depleted. Its ability to interdict smuggling of, of vulnerable people, uh, of weapons, uh, of drugs, drastically reduced as well. And then from a maritime security point of view, that we have the Russian ships that are coming down from from the North Pole, basically, right down the west coast of Ireland. We have... Minimal, almost no capability uh, to even escort into Irish um, economic waters, and absolutely no capability whatsoever to even see below uh, the surface uh, of of the Atlantic. So, not a single one of the Irish naval vessels uh, has sonar capability, and that's not the navy's uh, fault. That's as a result of decades of, of underinvestment uh, in our military. And uh, unfortunately, the, the day of reckoning has arrived now and our troops, be they on land, sea uh, or air, uh, just do not have the resources and the assets and the equipment to, to carry out their function.
1: Of course, some people would say that Russia is no threat to Ireland and that, you know, this is this, this is people trying to... Scaremonger Ireland into NATO membership. What what do you think?
0: Yeah, th- there would be the very same people and the very same type of people who said in January and early February of last year that Russia is not going to invade Ukraine, that this is NATO stoking up tensions to justify their budgets. Um, again, two weeks before the the 24th of February, I stood up in the Irish Parliament here in the Dahl in Dublin and said, look, the consensus estimate is that there's an uh, 80% likelihood that the invasion will take place uh, once the Chinese uh, Olympics. Uh, finish? And, and do we have any contingency planning here in Ireland? And immediately afterwards, when, when the live TV was switched off, um, I was approached by by numerous TDs from all across the house going, well, what are you talking about? What's going on here? Surely this isn't going to happen. And all the intelligence was was pointing uh, towards uh, an invasion, particularly the intelligence from the UK and, and from the US who, who know their old adversary really, really well. And um, so all the pointers were suggesting suggesting, indeed, almost confirming it was going to happen, but we were clueless in relation to our response. So, so to answer your specific question, um, if I was looking for military advice, um, I wouldn't be going to those people who said that, that people are just imagining this threat to, to justify resources or justifying uh, equipment or, or budgets because they've been proven unbelievably wrong in the last 15 months. And they haven't had the, the courtesy uh, or the decency to withdraw their statements and recognise that they were wrong and that they were briefing Parliament and people uh,
1: indirectly. So Cal, Cal, we know that Ireland, uh, the Republic of Ireland especially, is is, is highly dependent on, on foreign direct investment and technology companies from the, the United States of America and that obviously entails connectivity with the United States of America, which we know is undersea cables, which uh, go out from the west coast of Ireland, and obviously it's not just Ireland depending on them. But if Russia decided to sever that link for whatever reason, and you know, I think I think even I think most people would would agree that that is possible. Um, could could realistically Ireland ever spend enough money to neutralise that threat?
0: Well, again, nobody can offer a hundred percent guarantee. Just look at what happened in Nord Stream Two. Um, most people don't even know who, who carried out that um, that event when when the the two Nord Stream pipes were were blown up. So, so you can't give a hundred percent guarantee in any circumstance. But what you can do is provide a minimum credible deterrent. Where uh, somebody who wanted to do uh, some some damage to this country in whatever capacity would have to weigh up the the cost benefit analysis that if they tried to do something, what are the chances of them at least being detected, uh, and secondly, uh, what are the chances of them being intercepted and being caught in the act? So uh, at the moment, the cost benefit analysis is is very very good, and that you can do whatever you wish within the Irish jurisdiction, be it on land, sea, and air, and there's almost nothing the authorities here can do. They can't even detect what's happening uh, credibly, uh, let, let alone do something about it. Say, for instance, our, in our airspace, and we have very, very busy airspace here. The the main air corridor between North America and continental Europe passes over, um, passes through Irish airspace. But not only do we not have the means to uh, intercept anything that's taking place, um, we don't even have the means to monitor it. So we're the only EU country of the EU27 um, that does not have primary radar coverage of our own airspace, which is a shocking uh, indictment. really. We have secondary radar coverage, of course. So if an aircraft tells us uh, that it's there, um, we'll know their altitude, uh, their speed and their call sign. But if they switch off the transponder, after if they refuse to engage correctly with air aircraft control there's not a thing the Irish authorities can do they can't even detect the aircraft that alone do anti So we've a huge amount of work to do
1: yeah but I suppose that some people might say well we've we've a huge homeless there's a huge uh, there's cost of living crisis there's a homeless problem does Ireland really need to be spending money on fighter aircraft now we do have the strain situation the extremely serious situation as has been reported in recent weeks that there's some sort of arrangement that the the RAF the the UK's air force would cover Ireland in the case of of an an emergency. Uh, I have been speaking to other journalists and other commentators, and you know we do agree that for you know for a country which has fought uh, long and hard for independence, it is very very strange uh, that uh, that this military service is provided by the RAF. But yeah. yet, but but yet, should we spend the money on fighter planes which? are unlikely
0: to ever need to be used. So, I agree very much with you. So, I suppose two points in response. First of all, uh, Ireland doesn't have a Coast Guard service here at all in this jurisdiction. What we have is four Coast Guard helicopters from four search and rescue bases that aren't owned by the state at all. It's actually a a private contract where a private contractor is paid €65 million approximately every single year for providing that service over a 10-year period. So, it's it's about three quarters of a billion. That's going to be... um, I suppose rolled over in the next few years, um, but an air policing service is is could be provided for half that cost, half that annual cost. No one's looking for fighter aircraft per se, but you could get if you if you wished uh, advanced trainers, which would be. Uh, subsonic, uh, sorry, would be supersonic, yes, and uh, they would be capable of being armed, but they wouldn't really be war fighting aircraft per se. But what they could be very, very easily is that an air policing service. And that's what every country in the EU, bar Malta actually has. So they can be leased, and they, people can be trained up and, and provided, the the full service could be provided for uh, between 30 and 35 million mm-hmm. a year, uh, which is very, very reasonable for for the rich country that we are, if we want to protect and and resource our neutrality. And the second point I'd raise is, say for example, Sweden or or Austria, they would be quite heavily armed countries, neutral countries currently in Switzerland, same story, neutral country also. Um, but they resource their defense forces, and but they still have excellent social services, excellent hospitals, excellent housing. I mean, we, we talk uh, down here in Dublin about the Vienna model of, of housing, and, and they would argue that a precondition for having all those excellent uh, services is to have this safe and secure environment, which is uh, so important for a functioning economy. And for a functioning society. So, if you speak to any ambassadors or any diplomats from from those countries, they will say their countries have that those excellent social services, and um, not in spite. Uh, of having a uh, quality military but because of having a quality military that people are prepared to invest uh, and take um, reasonable financial risks in those countries because the country is safe uh, the country is secure and if the country was attacked from land, sea, or air or from cyber that they have this minimum credible deterrent um, to protect any investments in those countries. So well, it's not a binary choice. You don't have to just have one or the other you can actually have both uh, and Ireland should certainly consider that.
1: Yeah, but it is it is understandable. I mean, I take all of those points on board and, you know, and you didn't mention, you know, huge weapons. And I, I don't want to be facetious, but, I, you know, it is understandable, I think, that when people are speaking from a military point of view, you know, that that it, that it could come across at some stage, you know, that it's more toys for the boys kind of thing. You know, I mean, I don't understand that. If I was in the Army, I'd want a Leopard 2. If I was a pilot, I'd want an F-16. I'd want to be top gunner. Uh, but is that going too far? You're, you're not saying that. You're saying it's a more reasonable defence capability that you're after. You're not really trying to have this, you know, very expensive
0: force. Yeah, I agree. Again, we're not even asking for a defence capability, really. Um, it's not really a, an airspace defence problem. It's actually a flight safety problem. So there are numerous aircraft in Irish airspace every week, Um, which don't cooperate with air traffic control. And and what would normally happen in a a normal functioning country is that if there was, for instance, an airliner that uh, was not communicating with air traffic control um, and that happened over a number of minutes, and then aircraft would be scrambled and they would intercept that aircraft to make sure that everything's okay. And they would look in, they would fly very close to the cockpit, they'd look in, make sure the pilots are conscious that there hasn't been a you know an aircraft inadvertent decompression or anything like that. If there's a problem with communications, they would use hand signals to get the pilots to, to switch their frequencies so that they can and uh, lease their traffic control. And if if it was a military aircraft or a rogue aircraft or, or whatever that was still refusing to engage with air traffic control, then obviously those inter steps would escort that aircraft through Irish airspace to make sure that they don't collide with any other aircraft that's that's crossing over. So primarily, it's not a defence issue at all. You you defend your airspace in wartime, uh, but you police it uh, in peacetime. So for a sovereign state, or a supposed sovereign state, to not be able to police its territorial waters and its economic waters and its its airspace and even its landmass at at times, that reflects very, very poorly on the country, particularly... For a jurisdiction that has fought so hard for its independence and is rightly so proud of its independence, to have to rely on external actors to provide that that security, that very, very baseline security that nearly every other country has. Uh, that's a that's a bit of bit of humiliation. And that's the main reason why this perhaps this deal with the RAF that's been floated around. Everybody seems to think that it's the, the worst kept secret in the world. And and the state out here are not discussing it. They're, they're claiming that it's for reasons of national security that it's not being discussed, but I think the reality is it's for reasons of national humiliation. Um, NATO, there would be quite a, a vocal uh, unrepresented group down here in um, this jurisdiction that would be bashing NATO at, at every opportunity. Um, but now we're beginning to realise that, that NATO is most likely providing this airspace uh, policing service for us, and uh, that has changed a lot of people's views over the last couple of weeks. So a lot of interesting developments uh, taking place uh, in Ireland at the moment.
1: And where do you stand on NATO, Kyle?
0: Um My own personal view, I'd have an open mind on, on all those things. I'm not ideologically wedded to any uh, uh, course of action, but the, we talk about the three ends down here. On one side you have the, the I suppose, the uber neutrals on one side. Uh, you have the Uber NATO people who want to join NATO uh, on the other side. I'd be more of the normal variety in, in the middle where you can say, OK, we don't have to join uh, a regional security arrangement. We don't have to sign up to a common defence. But there's a, a huge amount of space in the middle where we can cooperate extensively. Um, and that's how Ireland's neutrality yeah. has been practiced over the last 100 years and that we we don't formally adopt the particular posture, but we cooperate extensively with our neighbours and partners when it's in Ireland's vital national interest. And only a couple of weeks ago, maybe about 10 days ago, Ireland signed up to the the hybrid uh, warfare uh, centre of excellence in Helsinki. And then formally last week, we we signed up to the the NATO uh, cyber uh, centre of excellence in Estonia, where members of the Partnership of Peace i a member of PESCO, we cooperate uh, massively on, on a bilateral basis. I mean, my my great uncle um, was one of the, the first uh, Irish military missions that were, were sent to the United States in, in 2000 and uh, sorry, 1926, so almost 100 years ago, where uh, six military officers went over there for about a year and a half, learned uh, all they could from the US military and then established trading institutions military training institutions back here in Ireland so for the last 100 years Ireland has been doing this cooperating on a case by case basis and I think that's probably the the consensus way to to approach even if somebody wants to join nato even if Ireland applied to join nato today um nato I would believe would would look at Ireland and just go oh, fellas, you're 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 nowhere at the races you're you're a, you're a basket case you need a, a 20 years of reform before you would even be eligible for consideration. So the the message that NATO would most likely give us is get your own house in order first uh, and then we can look at an application further down the track. So I I don't see any NATO application or any acceptance happening anytime soon. But it is good to have a discussion. There is a, a, a forum on international security happening next month. There's a day in Cork, a day in Galway and two days in Dublin Castle where at least we can discuss national policy and that is national defence policy. That that has been a problem in the past that defence was such a a dirty word. uh, It was such a taboo subject that it couldn't even be discussed because it was so contentious. Um, So finally, at least, we can have conversation. I mean defence is just like another policy area for a country like housing, like health, like education defence is a a fundamental policy area but for the last 100 years it was just something that that couldn't even be be discussed in this jurisdiction. So I think there's been some progress from that point of view.
1: I suppose it's, as you said, it's somehow mixed up with the concept of neutrality and people somehow thinking that neutrality almost means that your army is merely symbolic. And some people have said and I, I would suspect this isn't your view, Carl, and I've read this in recent weeks, that somehow neutrality in itself is Ireland's best defence. I take it you wouldn't be of that opinion.
0: Well, uh, I would say the the model of neutrality practiced by Sweden currently, uh, Switzerland and Austria, that, that would be a, a good defence because uh, it is proper neutrality. Um, and that they they recognise that they they have to stand alone and, and fight alone if necessary. So they have resourced their policy choices. Uh, Ireland is in a particularly exposed and vulnerable position that we have decided we would like to be neutral, but we haven't resourced it at all. So in reality, we're not neutral. We're just merely defenceless. And that is probably the most dangerous and most risky um Policy uh, position and practice to adapt in that you're claiming to be neutral, and that you're 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 declining any collective security arrangement um, either across the Atlantic or, or in Europe, but at the same time you're not providing for your own defence. So we're wide open. We're I would argue uniquely exposed. Um, uh, from from an international perspective and that's a very, very dangerous place to be. So neutral, absolutely, if you resource it, uh, but defences, you're asking for trouble. And I'll just give you a classic example. Last year, um, a small aircraft from France laden with, with drugs um, flew across uh, and landed in an airstrip in, in Langford, couldn't even have been detected by Irish air traffic control because their, their transponder was was turned off. So these are the little instances that we're actually detecting. Um, can you imagine how many are taking place that we're not detecting? We know about these narco subs that have, these are a kind of semi-submersible submarines that are able to cross the Atlantic now from the South America. They've been found, a number of them have been found in, in Portugal uh, and in Spain. None have been found on the Irish coast, of course, but that that doesn't mean they haven't landed. Uh, as we'd always say, from the scientific point of view, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. And so, even if you if you if you don't even focus on the defence question at the moment, just focus on basic security, basic sovereignty. And um, the country is awash with drugs. Every town and village in Ireland has a has a problem with it now, and there's good reason for that because the the mother ships that are coming across the Atlantic. Um, in 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 large with with large quantities of drugs are not being intercepted, they are not being uh, detected, um, and once they make landfall, their consignments are broken into smaller uh, packages spread throughout the country, and it's a nightmare for for the Garda Síochana to intervene. What we should be doing is we should be doing proper deterrence, um, proper detection, um, and and proper interception off the coast and preventing these uh, vessels, be they on the surface or subsurface, um, from landing in, in Ireland. Um, but unfortunately, we're not even doing the basics and, and that's a problem.
1: Cal, can I ask you one last question? Um, a number of academics in the, in the, in the last year, and the, there are many discussions around the United Ireland, and that's to do with political, political campaigning, changes in demographics in the North here. Uh, some uh, academics, most notably Brendan O'Leary, and it's been picked up by commentators here in the North, have pointed out that the Republic of Ireland's defence forces are, are simply not capable of, as stands, of dealing with the realities that uh, a United Ireland would bring about, even in best case scenario. And some have said that, uh, well, it just shows that no forward planning is is being done in the Republic for that possible scenario. What would your view be?
0: I, I would say that's absolutely 110% correct. So 110% correct in that the Irish Defence Force do not have the capability uh, should it occur, should the people decide um, uh, to even police um, in the north, as the six counties up there. Uh, and also there's absolutely no policy planning being, being done for it. Um, that's for sure. Even, even the conversation hasn't occurred. So we, we've had this shared island project or initiative, which I agree with very much. And they've had discussions about tourism and cross-border infrastructure, cross-border health, education, Erasmus, all that stuff. And that's all good stuff. But there hasn't been a single seminar on defence and security arrangements in the event of uh, reunification in, in whatever capacity. Um, just a classic example, that the six counties are in NATO. Um, There's uh, uh, over a million people that that live in in Northern Ireland are quite happy with the the security that's being provided by uh, the UK Armed Forces um, and uh, by extension NATO as well. And if they were to agree to consent to any kind of reunification, there would be a remarkable reduction in that level of, of security. So a wider question is that if this jurisdiction, if, if Ireland wanted to link up with the two political entities and the and, and Sarland decided to link up, would it be a brand new country? Uh, would that brand new country decide to become a member of NATO or, or not. And if you think back to 1948, uh, Ireland actually looked to join NATO in 1948 when it was established. Um, but one of the preconditions for joining NATO was that you would recognise the, the current territorial integrity of all uh, NATO countries. That was a very big problem for, for the authorities in Dublin because they would have to recognise that six counties were, were fully part of the United Kingdom. Um, so Ireland declined to join NATO for that only reason. That was the only reason they declined. In in fact, the Dublin authorities then decided to ask for a bilateral arrangement with the US that there would be a common defence arrangement separately uh, from NATO uh, between the US uh, and Ireland, and the US declined uh, to enter into that bilateral arrangement. So, uh, Ireland has... I guess, from a historical perspective, it has no ideological problem uh, with joining NATO. the The one issue was the the uh, was partition at the time and the need to formally recognise the existence of the border and the six six counties as part of the United Kingdom. That was the reason why Dublin declined uh, in nineteen forty. And so, I guess to answer your question, uh, no. Absolutely, uh, the current State of Defence Force is not capable of looking after this jurisdiction, uh, the 26 counties at the moment. It would certainly not be able to deal with an additional six counties on top of that. And there's absolutely zero planning uh, from a contingency point of view or other- otherwise to prepare for such uh, possibility or, or eventuality. And the big question for me is if Northern Ireland is currently in NATO, this new entity of a, of a political country, if it ever materialises, um, will that have to join NATO? Should that join NATO or should it become uh, an independent, non-aligned country um, like uh, the jurisdiction uh, is uh, at the moment?
1: Cahill Berry, uh, TD for Kildare South. Thank you very much. Clips from Virgin Media and RTÉ.